Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Welcome to the show, RJ Burr. Hey, Victor. How are you doing today? Great to have you. Now, RJ, we're going to be talking all about energy today. You're not from the world of real estate investing, but you are from the world of oil and gas, which, by the way, is another form of real estate. Now, before we dive into the details, maybe give a little bit of your backstory. I know you come from a family that is deeply invested in the oil industry. Give us a bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. All righty. Well, uh, I-, I was one of the fortunate ones, Victor. Uh, growing up, a lot of kids uh, don't know what they want to do. I grew up watching my dad in oil and gas, and it's uh, he, he had me on location. But I think the first time I can remember being on a rig was when I was seven, and I've been hooked ever since. Funded my first program three months out of high school, and and haven't looked back. This is uh, really all we've ever done. You know, some some kids get to watch their dads practice law, some get to watch them practice medicine. I got to watch my dad in the oil and gas business, and so this is a uh, really all I've ever known, all all I've ever wanted to know. Now, when, when it comes to, to oil and gas and real estate, you're absolutely right. They're, they're really first cousins. I, I tell my partners, uh, the only difference between a lot of the real estate that my partners buy and a lot of the real estate that we buy is a couple thousand feet. And, and so you work on the same premise. It's on location, location, location. If you're in the wrong spot, you can't make any money. That makes a lot of sense. Now, in the world of oil and gas, we're often talking about separating the mineral rights from the land itself and getting mineral rights leases. Now, this, the business segments into a whole bunch of different subcategories and sub-businesses. There are the land guys that get the leases. There are the folks that do the actual drilling and exploration. Then you've got the midstream, which is transportation, and the downstream, which is refining. You're primarily focused really at that upstream end of the business. Yes, that is, that is, I'd say 98% of our focus is upstream development. Now, that's also the area that is perhaps the most sensitive to spot prices, spot commodity prices for crude oil. So it's the area that has perhaps gone through the most number of boom and bust cycles just based on the commodity price. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I can, uh, now, where, where we're kind of sitting in a unique position is because my family, my dad got involved in the business in 1973. Throughout the entire course of my professional life, going on 30 years now, I can remember oil being $100 a barrel, but I can also remember selling programs where oil was $8 a barrel. And so when you look at the fluctuation in prices, where we've kind of, I'm not going to say abstain, because anytime prices crash like that, it hurts everybody. However, where we're a little different is the fact that we've, we're long enough in the tooth that when we look at the economics of a deal, we'll typically run it at $20 a barrel. I'm not saying that's where we want oil to be when we do the program, but if we can live with the results, then we're going to be tickled when the prices are where they actually are. Now, when you look at the majority of the oil companies in the industry, the vast majority of them were created here in the last 20 years. For the last 20 years, oil prices have based right around $60 a barrel. And so most of these companies built their world around that $60 mark knowing that they'd probably need at least 50 to pay their bills. And so we, between the modern oil and gas world, and I guess the ancients like we are, we look at the price where, heck, if the bottom fell out and the worst case scenario happened, could we survive? And if the answer is yes, then we're going to be tickled with where prices are when we actually do the work. And so that's kind of how we look at it. But one more step on that question, and when it, when it boils down to the oil industry, 
is you really need to define it. We, we were talking about uh, upstream, midstream, and downstream oil and gas companies. We, we need to even get a little more detailed than that. And who is the true domestic oil industry in the United States? You know, if you went to the average American and said, name one oil company that's an American company, most of them would go to the bigs. They'd go to Exxon. They'd go to one of your larger companies. When in actual truth, your majors produce less than 20% of the oil we produce as a country. 83% of your oil and 90% of your natural gas are produced by roughly 9,000 independent oil and gas companies that average 12 employees or less. And so when you look at the oil and gas industry, especially in America, that's really who you're talking about. Now, don't get me wrong. Exxon is based in Houston, so they'd consider an American company. And I'm not beating Exxon up. They're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're taking care of their partners. But the fact of the matter is their top priority is not what's best for America. It's what's best for their partners. And so when you count them in that equation, you're really diminishing what the true domestic oil and gas energy industry is in America because they really don't belong. They're an international company. Once you define who the world is when it comes to these these American companies, now you can start seeing where those prices going up and down is significantly because the average the average American, when they look at it and they see, oh, heck, the oil price is down to $40 a barrel. Well, it's Exxon. They can handle it. Well, yeah, Exxon can handle it. But there's a lot of companies in America that produce our energy that can't. Right. They're, they're essentially that ma and pa company that prices going down like they did doesn't just hurt them. It puts them out of business. And, and so that's really when you look at the attacks on the oil industry that have, that have taken place here over the last, well, you can more specifically point to the last couple of years, but really the last 40, 50, that's who they're aiming at. They're, they're aiming at the, the guy you go to church with. They're aiming at the guy whose kids on your, your kid's little league team, the, the small mom, they're not talking about Rex Tillerson getting hammered. They're talking about Mr. Johnson, who's been drilling wells for 30 years in the same area. That, that's who these, these are, are really getting hurt throughout this fluctuation. And, and if you could see what's happening and position yourself properly, man, just look at the world around us. I, I was talking to, to, to my dad this morning. Victor, you know my dad. We were talking this morning and I, I said, dad, you know, the, the, why it breaks my heart for every other industry out there that's getting hammered right now. We're sitting in a pretty good position when, when you're sitting on the amount of oil that we're sitting on and you have prices at a hundred dollars a barrel and fundamentally there's nothing that would indicate heck that the, the conflict in Ukraine could end tomorrow. It's not going to change the fact that we don't produce enough energy to cover what we consume. And then we're not investing enough to find more. And, and so the scenario set up perfectly that if there is no alternative, what's the upside to the price per barrel? I don't think anybody can say what that is. So let's make a distinction. Let's segment the industry a little bit further because there are conventional wells. There mm -hmm. are fracking wells where the oil is closed in and you've got to hydraulically fracture the rock in order to get at it. Mm -hmm. And the conventional wells have a completely different decline curve, a more linear decline curve, as compared with the fracked wells that have that inverse hyperbolic curve where you lose 85% of your year one production by the end of year one. Uh, and so the economics of those two businesses are dramatically different. For mm -hmm. you guys that are drilling today, are you doing the multi-zone fracked wells, drill, you know, vertical and horizontal drilling, or are you doing some of the simpler, more conventional wells? 
Uh, we're drilling more conventional wells, but they're not. We, we, our main specialty is around salt domes, which is uh, difficult drilling. It's not the, uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that it's easy, but uh, when it comes to treating the wells, no, we typically don't have to frack them. We might have to treat the well. You might have to put some acid, put some propellant, put something down there to bust the formations up. But for the most part, the wells just come and see you. Now, when you talk about the major fracking industries, that's, yes, there are a lot of areas where you use it, but I kind of look to the, to the shale. That's where your major frack wells are. And, and there are some other areas that would add into that, but that, that builds the picture of what's happened here over the last couple of years when it comes to energy prices. Because really what we saw and, and looking at that whole scenario we had talked about a minute ago, whether you like President Trump or not is irrelevant to this. Set, set your personal feelings aside on, on who's leading the U.S. and what they're doing. We have to look at what happened. In 1960, the Seven Sisters, basically your seven major oil and gas companies, essentially controlled the price of oil. They, they had runs on the market. They, they manipulated. I mean, there's, a, there, it, there's several novels that you could read that explain the craziness of the world at that point in time when it came to oil. Well, in 1960, OPEC was created. And the reason they were created was to counter the power of the Seven Sisters. And so all of a sudden, now you have a group of oil producing countries that have essentially controlled the fundamentals of the end when it comes to the prices for almost 60 years. Well, what happened in the middle of President Trump's turn is he got a production in the U.S. up enough where all of a sudden OPEC lost their power. All of a sudden, they couldn't determine what the price per barrel would be with as much force as they used to. And so that was where we started really looking and looking at that over the last 20 years, most companies have built their world around that $60 per barrel. That's what we saw happen. We saw Russia and Saudi Arabia increasing their production to drop the price of oil and essentially a direct attack on the US domestic production. They wanted to take out that power structure that had now supplanted some of their power. And so in watching this, we knew most of your shale companies need at least $50 per barrel to, just to pay their bills. They make every profit over 50. Well, if Russia and Saudi Arabia could push it down to 40, maybe $45 a barrel, all of a sudden you would have a lot of American companies who are now in trouble. And, and so that's what we saw happen. We thought it'd probably take 18 to 24 months for them to pull it off. But we knew during that time, there would be a lot of buying opportunities. There would be companies that could not handle $45 a barrel. Well, in large measure, they succeeded, right? Because if you think back to 2015, when the prices dropped, they put a lot of companies out of business. The folks that were lending to those businesses, basically, that source of capital dried up. And so even if you wanted to get back in, you couldn't even raise the money. You're absolutely right. And then to put a cherry on top, on April 20th, 2020, when those prices crashed, really the trigger that caused the price to, even though we were off on that, because it was COVID. No, nobody could have anticipated that. And, and so even though we were off on what the trigger would be, the end result was the same. The only difference, instead of it taking 18 to 24 months for it to happen, it happened in 30 days. And, and so all of a sudden, we're sitting here. It's, I mean, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, April 20th, at that point in time, we had two partnerships that had just sent out their first revenue distribution. I think the partners in the first, and both of those programs in their first distribution with their tax benefits, they had right at 50, 60% of their money back in their pocket. I mean, we were, we were riding on cloud nine. We were, about to, we were about to raise a bunch of money. And then all of a sudden, the bottom fell out of the market. And, and so at that moment in time, 
If anybody on the planet had the right to curl up in the fetal position in the corner and start sucking their thumb and crying, it was us. I mean, that the bottom falling out of that out of the, out of the barrel of oil just crushed those two programs. However, while that was really a, a not a very happy moment, hindsight being 2020, I have more pride in that moment for our crew than anything we've ever done. Because at that moment in time, when pretty much every other company on the planet started pulling in their sails and battening down the hatches, waiting to ride out the storm, we spread ours out. We, we put our sails up, we spread our wings. We said, all right, guys, the only thing that was different was the trigger. This is exactly what we were preparing for anyway. And so we jumped in high gear. And uh, in the last two years, we've acquired, oh, it's roughly 18 or 19 different leases that encompass two different salt domes. And we could have anywhere from bottom side, about 20 million barrels of oil in place. Top side, there could be over 100 million barrels of oil in place. And we're just now getting started. And our acquisition cost for these for this oil is less than $25 a barrel. And so all of a sudden, we took our partners from a position of, oh, no, what are we going to do? And we put them in a position of, oh, man, this might be the biggest thing we've ever done. We just finished a well here two weeks ago that when we finished drilling this well, it had over 230 feet of pay in a field that has been drilled in. They started drilling this field almost 100 years ago. And you have guys that have been in the business for 30 years looking at that log saying, man, this might be the best log we've ever seen on this Choctaw salt dome. And so we're when you put your partners in the right positions, now the oil price per barrel, it, it just puts a cherry on top. But when you look at the world, man, everybody's in the oil business, whether you want to be or not. We're all consumers. And so if we can put our partners in a position where they can actually be a producer and change that flow of money when it comes to their energy needs, heck, we've got the best of all worlds. Now we can make money while these prices are so high and everything else is going crazy. Heck, my partners can park their money right here. And we can write, heck, if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna bet on something and get a true price, the reason I love oil is because you have half the population wants it free. The other half the population wants it to be five hundred dollars a barrel. So you have two equally opposing forces pulling on one barrel of oil. That's gonna give you an equilibrium of what the true value is. If you can get that oil at a good price and know you can develop it, man, you're putting money in the bank. And, and that's exactly what we do. Now a lot of my partners, they'll go to our website, panx.us, and they'll pull up. We've got Oil and Gas 101. It gives you the basic breakdown of the industry. Oil and Gas 102 gives you essentially the tax side of it. Oil and Gas 103, it breaks down where we were, where we are, and what the future holds. And it just gives you a great education on really just the oil industry, which personally, I think is the most important industry out there because without energy every economy crashes. And so he who owns the oil controls the future. And so that's really what we try to do. Well, RJ, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Uh, easy. You can go to panx.us or you can email info at panx.us. Uh, we're, we're always looking at our accounts and heck, we welcome you. Come in, check us out. Whether you, whether you participate or not, really, it, it makes no difference to me. We're in a position in time where, well, you know how it is right there. I have a lot of partners that really, and this is kind of how, you, how I look at it. When, when my investing partners come to me, they typically have three piles of money that they, that they live in. The first pile, that is their life money. That is what they pay their bills. That is what they take care of their family. 
That money is sacred money. Nobody touches it. Then they have their middle pile. Their middle pile is their safe pile. This is the pile that they, they put gold in. They put silver in. They put their real estate in. Where they want their money to grow, that's not the main priority. They're tickled if it grows. But their main point, when they go back to that money years from now, they want to know there's just as much or maybe a little more than when they put it there. Well, then they have their third pile. Their third pile is their growth pile. That's the pile that they play with. They, they want to turn one into two, two into five, so on and so forth. Well, what happened here about two years ago, you remember when the, the stock crunch or the, the silver crunch happened and all of a sudden people were coming out from under the ether that there was actually more paper silver than there was silver. Well, a lot of my partners started freaking out at that point because they started looking at it, it, their safe pile where they put all their money, hoping it'd be the same or a little more. And they realized that that's just as manipulated as everything else. And, and so they were in a moment of crisis because they really didn't know where to put their money to be safe. And, and so when I look at oil and gas, most guys look at oil and gas and say, man, it's as risky as anything out there. Well, yeah, by nature, oil and gas is speculative. If anybody ever tells you different, they're lying to you. And so once you start from that foundational point, now, if you can put yourself in a position where you know you have the oil behind pipe, you know you have it at a good price, and you know you can get it out of the ground, well, heck, a lot of my guys just pulled their money out of the rat race and parked it with us to let us develop these fields because they know oil should hold its value. Now, are there guarantees? No, there are no, there are no guarantees in life. Anybody, especially in oil and gas, ever calls you and guarantees you something, they're lying to you. Hang up on them. There, there are no guarantees. But all you can do is I can guarantee my guys that we're putting them in a good spot. We work harder than anybody that I've heard of. And we're going to leave no stone unturned when it comes to making you money. And if you're in a good spot and you give everybody, somebody everything you have, well, then I'm not going to back up from anybody. The results will speak for themselves. And uh, we're doing pretty good. I mean, we've, uh, we, we, we've done well for our partners over the last handful of years. Awesome. Well, RJ, I know your family. I know the work ethic and I see the way you guys conduct yourselves each and every day. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with RJ and his team, as well as Bob Sr. at Panex.us. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. 